welcome to mini episode 99 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Thank you so much for your kindness and your patience and your understanding when I took a few days off. But I am back and I have three spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 22nd of December 2020. And story number one comes from Matty. A few years ago, myself and some of my friends decided to try out a local ghost investigations company which we had found online. Myself and one of my friends are avid horror film fans, so putting ourselves in a situation to be scared was a thrilling prospect. We're from Liverpool, and the event was in a restaurant near St George's Hall, a landmark that used to be used as the courts for the city. Apparently, under the restaurant, there were catacomb-type structures that held the original cells for the prisoners who were to be put on trial. They would be led underground through tunnels which spanned the 500 metre or so gap between the building where we were in now and the courts. This was our first experience of anything vaguely to do with the paranormal and we were supplied with ghost detecting equipment to see if we could find any energy while we were underground. This included an electrical meter that flashed green to red any time it detected strong electrical energy in the surrounding areas audio recorders and a video camera. We went down into the tunnel after a short briefing. There were about 13 of us in total, us four, three guides and another group of friends. The tunnels were freezing and you could feel the temperature continue to plummet as we climbed the stone stairs into what I can only describe as a giant stone cellar with large curved archways into different rooms. If you Google St. George's Hall catacombs, you get an idea of the scale. But these ones where the tour took place were abandoned a long time ago and have fallen into disrepair. One of the guides was at the back of the group, and as they closed the door behind us, it scraped along the floor to make a large, deep bang as it closed. I'd had to hold the door open to let the group through, so I knew it was really heavy. The first room we tried was to the left as we entered. It was a long, narrow room, which had been used recently to store building material. Our group moved to one end, and as we did, we lost sight of the main corridor, but could still see part of it through the archway where we had entered. We stood in a circle and placed the energy reader on the floor along with the audio recorder, while another member of the team filmed with a video camera. One of the guides then called out, asking if there were any spirits nearby, for them to make themselves known. We stood in silence and waited with anticipation. Five minutes went by and nothing happened. The guide called out again a couple of times, but other than a few flickers on the energy reader, there was nothing. Zilch. Nada. I remember looking at my friend with a, Why am I freezing my balls off down here for this? expression. The guide decided to change things up and split the group in two, taking one half down to the other end of the room to see if they could contact anything doing the same summoning procedure. Two of my friends went, including my horror film fan friend, who, although he loves a scary film, is a massive sceptic and never gets scared during films. We carried on calling out for a few minutes when all of a sudden I heard my friend yelp a sound I have never heard him make before, and the whole second group shout out simultaneously. We rejoined them quickly, and when we asked what happened, he said they had been calling for a spirit when their energy meter started flashing red and stayed red, 
They had then heard footsteps as if someone was coming down the stairs, which continued along the main corridor, stopping by the archway, then carrying on on the other side of the archway towards another opening at the end of the room. As they had turned to the other opening to see if they could see anything, my friend had heard a breathy whisper of a laugh, inches away from his ear where no one was stood. I laughed at the excitement of it, but I could see that he was genuinely shaken. And reflecting afterwards, he did his best to find a reason for what had happened, but he couldn't explain it at all. A few weeks later, we were laughing about it. And as with all of these things, time makes it easier to handle. So we decided that we'd enjoyed our time with that company and wanted to go back again. I, for one, had not experienced anything, but enjoyed seeing parts of the city that I wouldn't usually have access to. So I was well up for doing another tour of a haunted location. We booked on again, but this time the tour would be of an old police station near my mum and dad's house. It was a similar idea with a similar sized group. The same three friends that had come with me before booked on and energy meters in hand we stood in the foyer of the police station, which had now been converted into a local community centre for arts and crafts. We stood in the cold for around an hour and saw nothing. I was more bothered about getting warm than if there were any spirits there, So when we were split into groups and led to different parts of the station, my mind was elsewhere, and me and my friends were just chatting and enjoying the surroundings. The four of us and two girls who we didn't know were led into an old cell that had been preserved as a mini-museum for the police station. To set the scene, the cell was about 10 feet wide with a raised platform that ran along the opposite wall as he walked in, probably used as a bed for prisoners who stayed the night. There was a glass cabinet in the corner with old bits of police memorabilia and pictures on the wall of the police station in its prime. The six of us, tired from standing in the cold for the last hour, all sat on the bed and one of the girls who we didn't know was handed a pair of divining rods, or dousing rods, usually used to feel earth vibrations to find sources of water or minerals. We were told, as last time, to ask questions and invite spirits in to speak to us. So we started, shouting out random questions. But we were all just having a laugh and no one was really taking it seriously. The two girls who had the rods were a bit hysterical and kept saying that the rods were moving in response to our questions but I didn't believe them. Then they said they were too freaked out and handed the rods to me. And this is where things got a bit weird. We'd been given a script for calling the spirits. We were told to hold a rod in each hand tight enough so they didn't fall, but loose enough so that they could swing left and right. We then had to invite the spirit to talk to us and instructed it to make an X with the rods if their answer to our question was yes, or push the rods out wide if the answer was no. We began and after a few minutes of nothing, my hands started to sweat. Now bear in mind it was freezing in the room and my hands had been cold all night, but I passed it off as some form of anxiety as in my head I still had a small belief that it was wrong to be contacting spirits if they were real. I had kept quiet as everyone asked the questions, so I thought I should join in. Is there a spirit here? I asked, and as I watched I thought I saw the rods move. I laughed, pointing it out to the rest of the group who were just asking questions into the darkness now and not paying much attention to the rods. Everyone stopped and watched. Is there someone else here? The rods moved into an X, 
a broad sweeping motion, stopping dead in an X shape. I remember feeling the blood drain from me and the hairs on my arms stand up. I reset the position of the rods. Are you a man? No movement. Are you a woman? The rods swept into an X. Now my heart was thundering and my grip was so tight on the rods I could feel the pressure of them moving. Was this your cell? Someone asked. Yes. Did you die here? Yes. Was this your bed? Yes. At this point there was an extreme tension in the air. As if we all expected something to leap out at us and get us. As if it were a setup for a jump scare in a film. My mouth had gone dry and my anxiety was rocketing but I managed to say, partly as a joke to try and kid myself this wasn't serious. Are you on your bed? Yes. The six of us immediately leapt to our feet and across to the other side of the room, spinning to look at the platform that we had all just been sat on. I'd never experienced anything like this before in my life and probably won't ever again. My mind was racing and then suddenly... The cell door crashed open, and there stood one of the guides with a cheery smile. She saw the look on our faces and asked what happened, and in the clamour to get out of the cell, my sceptical friend, who had the experience on the other tour, took the rods off me. He said it was probably me making the move without knowing it, some unconscious trigger answering what I assumed a spirit would say. I handed them over gladly and listened as one of my other friends explained what had happened in the cell. As she spoke, the guide was nodding along as if she'd heard it all before. She said that one of the stories of the police station is that during the suffragette movement in Liverpool, there was a demonstration on Lark Lane, where the police station was, and a young suffragette was arrested and housed in the cell. To get revenge and to quote-unquote put her in her place, the local officers allowed a group of men to enter the cell and beat her up, thinking it would stop her from demonstrating, in the overtly violent logic of people of that type. They beat her that badly that she died in the cell and her body was dealt with. I shook my head as I listened to the tale and out of the corner of my eye saw my sceptical friend, white-faced, watching as the rods in his hands twisted in circles, stopping every now and then at an X. Yes, yes, yes. It would be dramatic to end the story there, but in reality my friend panicked and dropped the rods on the floor. His hands shook for about 20 minutes afterwards, and when we met up with the other group, they said they had been in a room which housed pottery wheels for an art class, and at once the pottery wheels had turned themselves on. They had no idea how to switch them off, and when the guides showed up to let them out of the room, he had to unplug the wheels from the walls to stop them. Although it was scary, I never felt any malice from the spirit, which I feel is unusual given the way she was meant to have met her end. And I definitely feel that when we left the police station, the spirit stayed there, attached to that place. I love everything about this story. I love these guided ghost tours, or not even ghost tours, because not ghost tours, ghost investigations. I really want to go on one, genuinely and I mean that so if you have a recommendation for one please message me on Instagram or Facebook or wherever it is and let me know what the what your recommendation for a ghost investigation would be 
Uh, I just think they sound like they're really good fun. The only problem is, right, if I was in that situation, I'm such a baby with the cold. I can't hack the cold. I hate it so much. So if I'm stood in a cold place at night time, if the devil himself showed up, I'd be like, babe, I don't have time for you. I'm freezing. Can we just get this night over with? I want to go home and get into bed and warm up. So I'd have to, I don't know, I'd have to like get some sort of a snowsuit to be able to survive the night. There's lots of places in the UK with stories like that about about the suffragettes. And it wasn't that unusual for suffragettes, I think, to be dished out with terrible punishment in order to teach them a lesson and put those women in their place, you know, which is horrific, absolutely horrific. So I could understand why if anybody was going to haunt somewhere, why she would want to, why she, why she would haunt there and not be able to move on. Because what a terrible, terrible way to meet your end. It's just horrific. And it is that violent logic that overtook people and, and still does overtake people where you think, oh, violence is the only way to teach this person a lesson or put them in their place or whatever it is. And it's just, just horrendous. I don't really know that much about dousing rods or divining rods. Uh, I think I'd be tempted to think that it was uh, psychosomatic but I don't I don't really know that much about them about them and I know they were I, I like I know in Matty said in the story they are used for looking for water um I guess it, it's if you were to think about manipulation of things it would be an easy way for a spirit to uh, to to communicate um so I can understand why they'd be used in that regard but I don't I don't really I've never experienced them outside of what I've seen in films And story number two comes from Kate. I'm a practicing witch and have utilized a spirit board for many, many years, mostly without sinister effects. Recently, myself, my partner and three friends were doing a spirit board session. My partner doesn't particularly believe in it, but went along with it out of curiosity, not thinking that anything would happen. I cast a circle and protection on us all and opened the session. We encountered three spirits that night. The first lived locally and died from smog. We lived in a city heavily associated with the British Industrial Revolution. Our house was built by a prominent mill owner in Leeds. The second was a female who told one of my friends that she was going to have a downfall and that she needed to be careful. And the third is where things got weird. My partner had come away from the board and was sat down on the couch. The board kept spelling his name. I asked if there was a message for him, as it seemed to want to speak to him. My partner spaced out and went really vacant for a few seconds. Then he spoke a single word. Adversel. Which is Norwegian for warning, and nobody present spoke Norwegian at all. He came back to himself and had no idea why we were staring at him. After a while, whenever I asked the board anything, it would just spell out witch, evil and hell, H-E-L. So my friend started to ask the questions. My partner kept uttering words which we Google translated, which spelled out pieces, bodies, heart and door, all in Norwegian. A while after he had said door, three of the five of us all swore we saw someone stood in the doorway. The thing is, there's no way for anyone to be stood in the doorway, 
as there is a locked six-foot metal gate to get into the garden. We checked the garden. The board kept calling me a witch and saying I was evil and should be good. At this point, my partner spaced out again, staring right in my face and uttered something we couldn't hear properly and carried on staring at me. His face didn't look like his usual face. There was something more menacing. The board kept spelling out R-U-N over and over again. I said I wouldn't run. At this point, my partner stood up and lunged at me as if he was going to attack me, but stopped by the three white candles on the table, laughing a low, menacing laugh, and dyed them out one by one with his hand. My friend tried to get out of his way and he grabbed her hand and called her by her middle name. The only person who knew her middle name was her boyfriend, who was sat watching the session, not participating at all. At this stage, the energy felt different, and a lot more threatening. I forcefully closed the session, cleansed the area, board and the house. We decided to record the audio for this session shortly after my partner started speaking in another language. Listening back to the audio was chilling. If there weren't so many of us with the exact same recollection of the events, audio recordings and someone observing the session, even I would call bullshit. That night when we went to bed I had the overwhelming feeling that if I rolled over I would see someone standing over me. There was a strange noise at the side of the bed but I could not bring myself to look up. The next morning my partner had zero recollection that we had even done a spirit board. He had no memory at all. When I showed him the audio, he got a severe headache and had to sit back down. I did a ritual cleanse on him again and nothing else seemed to happen. I've since done another session and nothing like that happened again. I connected with my great-grandmother who died before I was born, am named after and was born on her birthday. Okay, look, I know, I know that spirit boards, lots of people do them all the time, right? I get that and I know they aren't necessarily... Uh, terrible things and I just but I, I feel like I need to I need to channel Dan and give you a PSA and say just stop doing spirit boards okay if I want to learn another language I'll just go on Duolingo oh, that's what I'll do I'll just do that and, I, and I'd rather do that than get possessed by something and attack people that's that if I'm going to learn another language I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way although I do like a quick fix you know, I like things that, that I can do quickly and not have to worry about. But that's beside the point. I'm really scary. I don't know if there's any parts of that audio that you can share. If there are and you're willing to share even bits of it, then please do. I know that it's audio's tricky because you are so identifiable by your voice. So yeah, I know it's not necessarily that you'd want to share it. And good thing that you lay down all those protection bits and pieces beforehand because otherwise that might have had a very different ending. And story number three comes from Mariah. I've been what I can only describe as a spirit magnet since I was a little girl. At first I thought we just so happened to live in a lot of haunted houses but I began to see that others in my family never seemed to notice anything. I eventually realised I just draw that sort of energy to myself. I saw my first spirit in my bedroom mirror when I was about four or five years old. My mom told me it was my guardian angel, but I remember always being afraid of the old witch in the cellar. I remember seeing the floor hatch that led down there, 
We lived in an old hunting-type cabin, lifting ever so slightly at night, and someone watching me from the crack of darkness. As I grew up, it developed, and now when I walk into a space, I can feel what lives there, and it will make itself known to me, which is sometimes helpful and other times just simply horrifying. The year I graduated high school, I moved into my first apartment along the Great Lakes of Minnesota. This city is surrounded by a series of hiking trails, all very cold and connected to one another. And all of the land in the area has a rich Ojibwe history, as well as Scandinavian immigrant culture. So there are a lot of folk tales and legends surrounding the city. Shortly after moving in, I started hanging out with this dude I went to high school with. The first time we hung out, we talked about spirituality, and I told him about what I experienced. I remember him suddenly becoming more interested in me, and we began to hang out almost every night. He was a pretty mentally unstable person, unfortunately, and that instability twisted his behaviour into psychological harm, usually fixated on women who took a nurturing presence in his life. He was obsessed with experiencing the darker sides of the occult for himself and I began to fear that I was being used for my ability to experience what he could not. He would drag me out of bed just about every night, always at around 3am, to take me to different hotspots for activity and gauge my reactions. I never have been prone to seeking these things out because they were organically such a part of my everyday life. Of course I'm fascinated by the paranormal, And in my adult life, I've come to see my connection with the spirit realm as more of a gift. I don't usually get frightened by it anymore. I just recognise that something is trying to communicate and accept that it is there and I can coexist and share the space. I grew up in a pretty cultish sect of Christianity. In childhood, such abilities were demonised. And I was taught by the church to feel ashamed and fearful of my connection, to push it down and ignore it. And while my mother always believed me and was open to my experiences, it was always either angels or demons with her. In adulthood, however, I have found a great community of support through Wicca and occultism, and I now feel more strength and oneness than fear. But you have to understand that at the time, it was like a horrible switch that I couldn't turn off. I'd been attacked and thrown objects, pushed down flights of stairs, heard voices that made me ask questions about my own sanity, dark spirits would overcome me in my sleep, and just overall I had been tormented for years. I was terrified of being alone, of going to sleep or being vulnerable. One night this man brought me to a specific location that I'll never forget, and never revisit. All of the trails connect into a map called the Lake Superior Hiking Trail, It spans around the city and continues up to Thunder Bay. There was this little piece of the trail that led off into an old abandoned ski hill a few blocks up from my house, and it is well known for its reports of experiences. The trail goes up for a good few miles, and under a couple of bridges before you hit the ski hills. But it wasn't until I stepped one foot out of the last bridge that I felt the energy hit me like a freight train. Something was here, Something strong. And something curious. While we walked up the hill, I watched shadows form and follow us along the tree lines to my left and to my right. I was very uneasy, and made it known as we walked deeper into the territory, but my friend was only more encouraged by my unsteadiness. 
I grew a paler shade of white each step that I took. I could feel invisible eyes burning a hole into my coat. I heard whispering all around me like a low hissing calling out to me and I felt incredibly unsafe. I felt like I was prey, being watched by something hungry. I wanted to go home, but there was just one more spot he wanted me to see. There before me was a large soccer field, obviously used for a local children's league during the day. It seemed innocent enough, but as soon as I stepped my foot up to meet the end line painted on the grass, I felt every hair in my body rise and every instinct within me screaming that I should leave now. I paused and hovered on that spot until he pulled me past and pointed ahead at a small decrepit camper rotting at the edge of the forest. I've heard something lives in there, he said to me with a twinkle in his eye, and he added, let's go knock and see who's home. I dug my heels into the grass and refused to approach. The immense, thick, dark energy I could feel emanating from that dark doorway was making me sick to my stomach. I could see the blackness surrounding the small camper, I could see the energetic, wispy puffs of black sulfuric smoke engulfing it. I saw something slowly flicking the old curtains in the window back and forth, as if beckoning us forward. I told him I couldn't. I begged him to take me back to the car, but the urgency in my voice only put an alarming light in his eyes and he pulled me forward. We were now about four or five yards from the trailer, and every step he pulled me forward my vision went a little bit more black. I felt it before I saw it, like I had swallowed a poison. And when I got the courage and looked into my right, I saw something moving slowly along the tree line. Something tall, eerily thin and hunched over, with long arms dragging on the soft, wet earth. Its head was tilted towards us, its red eyes staring into mine, a sadistic smile on its blackened, jagged face. I still see that face in my dreams sometimes. My vision suddenly went almost completely black, like looking down a narrow pipe. I was losing my footing. He was almost entirely holding me up now. I felt like my consciousness was slipping away and something else was filling up the empty space. I fell further and further into blackness with each step that was taken until we hit the last painted line on the grass. Now only a yard or two from the haunted little home before us, still watching the movement and rushing between the trees all around us, still seeing that pair of glowing eyes staring into me like it was waiting for me. Only now my vision had been reduced to the tiniest circle amidst the blackness. I completely lost my balance and I fell to my knees weeping. I looked at him with all I had left, and I told him that if he didn't help me, I would be gone entirely, because it was here to take me away. He stared at me blankly. I saw the only genuine compassion I had ever seen in his eyes, and he slowly turned to guide me back in the direction that we had come. It was in this moment that I heard it, and felt it inside of me in the truest way I have ever experienced anything in my life. Inside of me, like in one of those old cartoons where someone shrinks down with another person's head and speaks with a microphone straight into their brain, I heard it. Oh, come now, Maria. 
Don't you want to stay and play with me? It said my name with the voice of a fucking serpent and then a high-pitched giggle mixed with a low guttural growl that the memory of still makes my blood run cold six years later. In that moment, all of my strength returned to me. Every natural instinct bred into my person took over and I shook myself from the arms of my companion and sprinted across the field faster than I had ever run before or since. I ran all the way past the ski hill, still hearing the giggling and chortling of this sadistic creature far behind, not daring to turn around. I ran about a mile down the trail and stopped beyond the last bridge, feeling suddenly quite myself again. My friend caught up with me, angrily asking what had happened to make me run, but I wouldn't tell him until I was safely in the car. That relationship, as obviously defective as it was, didn't last long after this night, as I did my best to move past that horrible experience. Though every time I go home to visit my family, I know it's only a few miles through the dark to the physical location that has haunted my memory for years. I wish I could say that the story ended here. But about a year ago, I heard another story that connected with mine way too close for comfort. I've always had a very strong relationship with my younger brother and have always worried that my experiences would bleed through to his life. I was home for a visit and one summer night we sat on the porch drinking together and telling stories. I had never told him any of this. I had only ever confided this experience in one close friend on the road. He began to tell me of a harrowing night him and his girlfriend had shared in the woods together with our family dog. They had gone deep into a nature preserve within the same forest, late at night for an impromptu camping trip. They walked a few miles in and hung up their hammock. I asked him to describe to me the mile marker they stopped at, and it made my blood run cold. They chose a spot that is directly behind the tree line of that same field. They woke at around 3am to the sound of a high-pitched, inhuman giggling floating on the breeze between the branches and feeling as if they were being watched. His girlfriend told me that she saw the bright full moonlight turn a strange reddish hue and seemed to fade. Everything darkened, the atmosphere of the surroundings completely changed from a calm, quiet forest to this feeling of terror and desperation. Our dog's ears perked up, silently whimpering, seeming very nervous, not barking, just subdued somehow, just anxiously watching and listening. The giggling came again, all around them now. At first they thought it was children or a prank, but the heaviness that came along with the sound had them tearing down their camp quickly and frantically. They hiked out as fast as they could, their gear dishevelled between their packs, moving quickly down the trail trying to keep their calm. I remember them telling me that as they hustled down the trail, they both felt like prey, like something was stalking them. They felt that something hungry was on their trail, like they were being followed. They tried to ignore the movement they kept seeing all around them, the noises that came from every direction and just get out of there. The poor pup was terrified, not acting like herself at all. She usually likes to run ahead, but she wouldn't leave their side, whining as she walked. They finally reached the edge of the parking lot, and right when they stepped over the painted line marking the end of the trail, they heard a large branch snap right behind them, 
just a few feet away. Everyone froze, staring into the dark abyss, listening. Again came that blood-chilling, horrible, putrid giggle one last time from behind them, as if from behind a barrier, as if the edge of the parking lot drew some line in the sand that it was unable to cross. As I mentioned earlier, Minnesota is home to rich Ojibwe culture, one of the tribes from which the stories of the Wendigo originated. We are taught the stories by elders around campfires as children, both by those who present it as a warning and those who see it as a fun ghost story. But I've always wondered if that was what my brother and I encountered in these woods. Whatever it was, I would never again visit that part of the forest in the midst of the witching hour, because that is evidently when it hunts. Oh, I am not okay. I am not okay. Just as well to say I did Google how to pronounce Ojibwe. I think I got it right, but if I didn't get it right, it's it's not willful ignorance. It's it's just not being able to say the word correctly, but I but I did my best. I hate everything about that story, and what I particularly hate and made me really angry was the behaviour of that man. The behaviour of Mariah's friend in the beginning and I'm using the word friend lightly and I know obviously Mariah had said it wasn't a positive relationship but you know consent is consent whether it's paranormal or personal whether it's paranormal or physical consent is consent and if somebody says hey I don't feel comfortable doing this then you should stop doing it it just baffles me how and I and I know that Mariah also said that person has mental health issues but that does not excuse torturing people because what it sounds like is this man tortured you Ugh. I am just so angry. I just want to beat him up. Just especially after I've just talked about, you know, how bad it is to use violence as repercussion. But anyway, I don't know what that was in the forest. I don't want to know. I hate that your brother and his girlfriend experienced it too. But in a way, I also feel kind of relieved for you that your story was justified by somebody else or validified by somebody else. But it makes it more terrifying. And I think... Do you know those big expanses of woods? Anything can happen. I don't know. I don't... I I just... I wouldn't be going anywhere with anyone at three o'clock in the morning who wanted to go looking for some demon that lives in a shack at the edge of a children's football pitch. That That's grounds for a, for a horror film right there. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Matty, Kate and Mariah for sending in your stories. Just a reminder that the last story was from the 22nd of December 2020. And if you would like to send in your own story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.